reading from John 20, 19 through 23, and this is right after Jesus' resurrection. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's good to see everybody today, and we are glad that, that you are here. If you're visiting with us, and uh, whether you are a member or visiting with us, we're glad, but... Um, <laughs> If you're visiting, it's, it's good to have you with us, and we do hope that you'll stick around afterwards and, and um, get to know us a little better, get, give us a chance to get to know you a little better. We do have classes for all ages uh, after worship, including two adult classes uh, that meet in the, in the other building. One is a um, class that are studying the book of James, and, and in another one, we uh, kind of discuss the sermon topic in, in a little more detail and conversationally. So if one of those uh, appeals to you, we hope you'll, you'll stick around and and join us. And at this time, we also have our children's church for our kids. They're headed out that way. So if you've got a, a kid three years old through first grade, they're headed that way. And as Ashley said at the beginning, uh, we've got a nursery and, and cry room as well. So all kinds of, of good stuff. Uh, so in the, uh, in the scripture that actually read for us, we're going we're to come back to it later in the sermon, but there's, there's this connection between peace and, and forgiveness that I think you see there. Um, in, in Jesus' words. And, and as Chris said, it, it, it's a, a thread that we're going to kind of pick up here and there um, through this morning. Um, but I, I want us to kind of keep that in mind as, as an undercurrent of, of everything else that we're going to discuss this morning, this idea of peace and, and what I think um, forgiveness is supposed to instill within the person who offers it is this state of, of peace. I also want to state at the beginning, before we get into our, our discussion this morning, uh, a, a thought I've had, especially after these first couple of weeks and in, in kind of diving into this topic of forgiveness, that I never want to assume that this is an easy topic or conversation, especially for, for some of you who have uh, had to deal with, what do I do with, with uh, large injustices or wounds or wrongs that have been committed against me? Um, I feel like I, I don't really have any, any big injustices uh, that, that anyone has done to me that I've had to forgive others for, uh, but I've been amazed by many of your stories of, of surviving and, and reflecting on uh, sexual assault and, and physical abuse and divorce and affairs and, and all types of stuff, uh, stories that I couldn't um, understand from experience. And so I want you to hear that, that if this is a topic that you struggle with, uh, I, want, I want you to know I appreciate your wrestling with it, you're, you're engaging this conversation. Uh, I hope that nothing I say ever comes across as, as insensitive or, or tries to cheapen uh, forgiveness, because I, I recognize and I want us to recognize uh, that forgiveness and reconciliation are, are hard, 
They don't happen overnight, especially with things that we would consider, quote-unquote, to be big things, um, and that these are weighty topics. And so I want us to, to kind of recognize that and, and, and remember that as we go through today in this series in general. Uh, but today we're going to talk about the nature of forgiveness. Last week we kind of looked at the limits of forgiveness. This week is the nature of forgiveness. You'll be glad to know that as I was putting this sermon together this week, I thought this is really long, and so it became two sermons. So <laughs> we're not going to try to pack it all in um, today. Um, Banner tried to greatly shorten it this morning in the sound booth. He just highlighted a whole section of it and was ready to delete it. Like, no, we don't need... <laughs> I'm hungry. Let's get out of here early. But... Um, <laughs> We're not going to go quite as short as Banner wanted, but, but um, it, is, it did end up being kind of two sermons. Uh, but today, uh, we're going to kind of think about this question of what does it mean to fully forgive? Uh, what does that mean? What does that look like? That's going to kind of guide some of our conversation. Uh, so our friend Joseph, who we started with a couple of weeks ago, uh, who I said was going to kind of be a backdrop of the, of the series uh, a couple of weeks ago, we introduced Joseph's story, and I'm not going to do the full recap that we did a couple of weeks ago, but just to, to kind of remind you, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, uh, Joseph was the favorite son of his dad, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was the favorite. All his brothers knew this, were very jealous of Joseph. So they basically sold him. They did sell him, but basically sold him into slavery. Joseph ends up in Egypt. Uh, basically taking care of a, a very high-ranking official's estate until he is wrongly accused of something and thrown into prison for something he didn't do. He then stays there in prison for two years before a guy remembers, oh yeah, this guy can interpret dreams after Pharaoh has a dream, and so Joseph gets out. And he gets out to interpret Pharaoh's dream, and he does so uh, quite accurately. He tells Pharaoh, here's what your dream means. It means that Egypt is going to have seven years of, of prosperity and, and good crops and wealth, and everything's going to go well for Egypt for seven years. Uh, but that seven years is going to be followed by seven years of harsh famine, not only in Egypt, but in, in all of the surrounding area. And so Joseph not only knows what the dream is, but he's got a plan for how to go about taking advantage of this knowledge. He says, what we should do, we should save a lot of our grain and goods for these seven years. Uh, and then for the next seven years, not only will we have enough to live on, but we will actually be able to not just thrive in famine, we'll be able to, to prosper and grow our power in the region because everyone else is going to have to come to us for food. Uh, he says, and you should find a really smart person to take care of that for you. <laughs> and Pharaoh says, sounds good. You're the guy. Go do it. <laughs> uh, so Joseph ends up basically being put in charge of all of Egypt. He puts this plan into motion, uh, and sure enough, everything happens just as Joseph said it would. Uh, this famine hits uh, in the region where Joseph's family lives. And so finally, Jacob, Joseph's dad, uh, decides, We've, I've got to send my sons to Egypt to get grain. And so unbeknownst to any of them, they now, have, they now have to go beg their estranged brother who they sold into slavery for grain. This leads to a very fascinating back and forth between Joseph and his brothers that we're not going to really get into this morning, but if you want to read about it later, it's in Genesis 42. Uh, because Joseph is having this conversation with his brothers, knowing that it's his brothers, but Joseph's brothers have no idea that it's Joseph, uh, which is just a fascinating dynamic that takes place. Uh, to me, Joseph seems to be a little hard on his brothers at points in the conversation, which is completely understandable. <laughs> uh, you're not just going to hand them grain and let them go scot-free. Uh, he makes them sweat a little bit. But at one point in this back and forth, 
of, of Joseph uh, kind of making them sweat it out, leaving them in suspense for a little bit. I want you to listen to what Joseph's brothers say. This is their takeaway from one of their conversations with Joseph. It says, They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's what this distress, that's why this distress has come to us. Uh, so we're getting a little bit of the backstory now from what happened when Joseph is in the cistern and is being sold. Uh, none of that part of the story is told to us at that point. But you can imagine how a teenage kid thrown into a cistern by his brothers, uh, not knowing what's going to happen to him, if he's going to be killed or what's going to happen, his reaction to that, his reaction as he is then hauled off by foreigners that he doesn't know, uh, this couldn't have been a pretty scene. And that has weighed on these brothers for years and years and years. If you took the most conservative estimate, this would be a decade later after all that took place. That's the most conservative estimate you can make from Scripture. Uh, Joseph is, is 30 when he comes into power in Egypt. So if you follow the timeline, he's probably 39 or 40 when this conversation takes place. He was 17 when we met him. We don't know the exact age when he was sold uh, into slavery, but it, was, it seems like it was pretty close to the first moments that we met him. Maybe it's a year or two later. Maybe it's further. But we're probably looking at at least 20 years after that happens. And when something bad happens to his brothers, they think it's because of Joseph. It's because of what we did 20 years ago that this is coming back. And I just have to wonder, like, was this a common theme among these brothers? Like, if one of the brothers lost a sheep in the field, it's like, well, it's because of Joseph. Like, you could have stopped it. But um, So, like, part of it is kind of funny to me, but part of it is like, man, these guys have been living with the guilt and the shame of that for 20 years. Um, we're going to come back to that. That's, we're going to revisit that a little bit in part two. Um, but just, just hold that, because that that's powerful, I think. Uh, so they, they've been... This has been eating on them for 20 years. Now they're going back and forth. Joseph sends them back home. They finally come back. Uh, and Joseph, uh, finally in conversation, he just physically can't take it any longer that, that he is holding in this massive secret. <laughs> um, so he finally just bursts out into tears, breaks down, has all of his attendants leave. And when it's just him and his brothers, he tells them this, I am your brother Joseph the one you sold into Egypt, in case you forgot, <laughs> in case you didn't know which brother Joseph I am. <laughs> you know that kid that you sold? Yeah, that's me. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Uh, that takes amazing strength, amazing faith, amazing love, amazing forgiveness, amazing peace to be able to look at your brothers uh, who have done this from a fleshly sense, unforgivable thing to you and say, I don't want you to be angry with yourselves. You've got to let go of this uh, because God has used this for good. I think Joseph 
even though we never hear the words forgiveness, at least at this point in the story, uh, I think Joseph fully displays the heart and the attitude of a forgiving person and spirit. And we see some of the elements here that we discussed last week. At the end of last week's sermon, we, we, uh, I mentioned some things that, that forgiveness is not. And those are important for us to remember when we're discussing forgiveness. Uh, that Joseph has obviously not forgotten about what has happened. Because not only does he bring it up right away, but he has this overwhelming emotional response when it comes time to reveal himself. Uh, and this is actually the second overwhelming emotional response he's had in conversation with his brothers. Earlier in another conversation, he has to leave because he just can't keep his tears in any longer. So he leaves and just weeps uncontrollably until he can come back and, and talk to him again. Uh, he hasn't forgotten. This is still a part of his story. It's a scar that he carries with him. Joseph acknowledges the wrongdoing of his brothers in a, in a very forthcoming and honest way. And I think this is important, too, because he, he says, I don't want you to be angry. But remember, he starts the conversation by saying, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. <laughs> in other words, you are not blameless in this. And so I don't want you to be angry with yourselves about it. But you messed up. <laughs> You did something you shouldn't have done. He doesn't minimize the hurtful action that was brought against him uh, or his brother's role in that hurt. But he also doesn't play the victim, nor does he allow the injustices committed against him to keep him from continuing to live with integrity, with strength, with faith, and with a pure heart. And because of all those things, Joseph then is able to look at his brother's in, in a moment when he would have been, from a human standpoint, completely justified to look on them in anger and hatred, he looks on them and says, I don't want you to be angry with yourselves. I think we see here that Joseph doesn't want any of them to hold on to this any longer. And with that attitude and spirit, Joseph is able to recognize the ways in which God has worked through him and through his situation over these last probably 20 years to bring him to this point to where he is now in a position to save lives of countless people in the region, including the lives of his brothers who intended to kill him. Uh, an amazing transformation and, and turnaround um, and story of forgiveness, I think. Uh, so, switching gears a little bit to Jesus. There's a point in Jesus' ministry uh, where he's having a conversation with his disciples. There's a lot of back and forth about prayer and about faith, and there's a fig tree involved that we won't get into this morning. But uh, at one point in the conversation, Jesus tells them this. He says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. I think in this statement, I think Jesus gives us the answer, uh, the essence of what he has in mind when he calls us to forgive. This is what I think Jesus thinks forgiveness looks like. It looks like prayerfully not holding the other, other people's sins against them. This is the powerful image of Joseph. It's the only way that one can look them in the eye and have any reaction other than retribution. I remember Joseph is the second most powerful man in the most powerful country in the world at this point. Joseph can have anything he wants. Pharaoh even says, it's, it's only in, in regard to the throne that I have more power than you. Joseph can do anything he wants in Egypt. He's given complete authority. All he has to do is say, kill these guys and they're dead. 
He doesn't even have to do it. He's got people who do that for him. Um, Joseph can, can respond in retribution. He can respond in vengeance. But instead, uh, he responds in embrace and forgiveness. Forgiveness, in the way that I think about it, at least in the way that I try to think about it through the lens of Jesus, is the power through which we move forward in a healthy way. And from a Christian perspective, I think forgiveness means choosing not to hold on to the offense any longer. In the scripture that Ashley read at the beginning of the lesson, uh, Jesus breathes his spirit on his disciples. And then he says this. Uh, This is, again, the version that Ashley read. This is the the way that the NIV uh, translates verse 23. It says, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, I've always read that as a very specific uh, command to these disciples, who he's talking to here in the immediate um, action. And I don't necessarily think that's inaccurate. Um, but in reading different versions of it, there are some, stuff, some things that really became very interesting to me. Uh, so that's the way the NIV um, translates it. In the Revised Standard Version, which is a little more literal of a translation, at least as it pertains to this verse, uh, verse 23 reads like this, and I want you to listen to the slight differences in this wording. It says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any... They are retained. Uh, In this way of phrasing it, the the focus, the emphasis is literally on the presence of sin. It's not just about the withholding of forgiveness. It's about the continuing presence and the holding on to of sin. The sin is retained. And the word retain is uh, is usually translated as hold or to hold on to. That if you hold on to their sin, then it is Retained. It is held on to. If you're a King James person, the King James uh, verse of this is really um, old Englishy and, and kind of, I didn't even want to attempt to read it. So <laughs> if you enjoy the, the, uh, the King James version, it's an interesting verse wording there. But with that in mind, then I want you to listen to another translation. This is the way that Eugene Peterson uh, communicates this verse in his. Uh, translation or or paraphrase of the message version of the Bible. This is the way he uh, communicates the message of this verse. He says, if you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? I, I love that way of thinking about it. And I would love to have a conversation with Eugene Peterson just about that one verse. <laughs> um, because as, as I read Jesus' words there in the way that it's translated in every other version, I don't think that's necessarily what Jesus is saying there specifically uh, to them in that moment, um, at least directly and, and in the exact words that he's saying. But I can certainly see that message in what he's communicating to them. And I think that's a much more applicable message for all of us. Um, if, if I'm not going to forgive other sins, if I'm going to hold on to the sins of others, what in the world am I going to do with them? <laughs> what is that going to produce of any good or productiveness for me? This is almost the opposite of that, but I, uh, I have this, this memory when I was a kid. We had a dog who was, um, in human terms, we would describe as incredibly athletic, um, but 
had no brains. So, I don't, you know, if you just picture the dumb jock stereotype, like that was this dog. Um, and so we came home from church one Sunday morning, and Mandy, our, our dog, who was just like sitting, minding her own business until she saw us pull up, and then she took off running after a rabbit uh, that was in the yard. Um, and so our, as kids now, me and my brother are watching in, in horror as we are about to watch a, a massacre, we're sure, of this rabbit on this peaceful Sunday morning. And so Mandy takes off in order to impress us after this vicious rabbit in our yard, and the rabbit just sits there. And, and fear and anxiety begins to well up in us as we think, this is, this is going to be terrible. Is dad going to make us eat the rabbit? You know, who knows what? Uh, so Mandy approaches the rabbit, is, is sprinting towards it, and the rabbit just sits there. She's like, maybe it's hurt. Like, what? Sits there. Still sprinting. Mandy gets right up to it, nose to the rabbit. The rabbit doesn't move, and Mandy doesn't know what to do now. <laughs> Things have always run up. Um, if I catch this thing, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And so Mandy just stands there for a minute, looks at the rabbit, and finally just turns around and walks off. <laughs> and then after Mandy had turned around, the rabbit hopped away thinking, I figured it out. <laughs> Mom was right. If you play dead, <laughs> the dog doesn't know what to do. Uh, because the rabbit had always run away, and Mandy would chase it and then come back. But when the rabbit didn't move, it's like, if I catch this thing and hold on to it, then what? (laughs) What am I going to do with it? Um, That's almost the opposite of what's going on here. But I I thought of that story in reading this, that that this this idea that I think we see in Jesus' message and that I think we're called to in forgiveness to say, if if I just hold on to the sins that others have committed, if, if I hold on in angerness and bitterness to the things that others have done to me, what, what am I going to do with those things? What is it going to produce within me? How can it lead to productive relationships, behavior, internal spirit? Holding on to the sins of his brothers would have ended with Joseph peering at his brothers in anger before sentencing them to death. And then what? What, he do, what would he do with their sin then? He would still be left holding it. It wouldn't have solved anything within him. At the beginning of the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, Jesus twice says, peace be with you. He says it at the beginning, and then there's chaos, and they're trying to figure out what's going on, and then after everything calms down, he says it again. Peace be with you. And it seems really difficult to live in spirit-breathed peace if we are holding on to the sins of others with clenched fists. And so next week, as we continue this conversation, we're going to get into a little more of, okay, so what, is, what does that look like? How do, how do I move through that? How do I progress healthily in, in a way through that? Uh, because again, that doesn't mean that we just excuse behavior that leaves us wounded. Uh, it doesn't mean we look past it. But there's a way to move forward in healthy ways without holding on to sin in a way that leaves us embittered and angry um, and unable to forgive. So last week, I ended by asking us, who tests the limits of your forgiveness? And today, I want to end with this question. Whose sins are you holding on to? Uh, Whose sins, when you think of that person, you can feel your body tense up? Maybe literally your your fist clenches up. Maybe that's someone you're in a relationship with, or maybe even it's yourself. 
Maybe it is yourself who, when you think of, of, of your sin and the ways in which you have, uh, have wronged others or, or sinned against God, maybe it's yourself that you are just holding on to things from your past and, and can't let go of. Uh, either of those circumstances or situation, Jesus calls us to forgiveness. And he calls us to forgiveness because of the example that we have of Jesus on the cross. Uh, in the book, Enemies of the Heart, Andy Stanley Uh, writes this about forgiveness. He says, In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. We are called to forgive because we are people who have been forgiven. Uh, We talked last week about Jesus' kind of addition to the Lord's Prayer that he gives about Forgiveness, that if you do not forgive the sins of others, then, then God is not going to forgive your sins. And, and as we kind of discussed in, in our class then last week, I, I don't think that's meant to be a legalistic idea that I've got to keep a ledger at home and that I've got to forgive every sin that's done against me uh, so that I can have the hope for forgiveness from God. Instead, I think it's about this idea that, that if I knowingly hold grudges, if I knowingly withhold mercy and forgiveness for, to others, uh, if I am someone who knowingly just is not willing to forgive, then, then I think the way that Jesus presents it is that means that, that I'm not someone who has fully yet grasped and understood God's love and forgiveness for me, fully expressed, most vividly expressed on the cross. And so may we be people who are, who are ever more and more increasingly understanding God's forgiveness and love and grace and mercy for us, and may it continually be seen in the ways that we deal with others in peace and forgiveness, not holding on to the sins of others, but moving forward in a way that brings about forgiveness and hopefully, when possible um, and when appropriate, leads to reconciliation.